Welcome to the Uphill Athlete Podcast. Our mission is to elevate and inspire all mountain athletes through education and celebration. My name is Alyssa Clark, and I will be your host today. We are beginning a new educational series focused on trail running. Uphill Athlete has long coached and supported trail runners, but we are dedicating even more time and attention to this ever-growing sport. Along with this podcast, we are also launching a trail running training group in June, led by coaches Alexa Hasman, Brian Pacenti, and myself. We are re-ramping our training plans and have many experienced trail running coaches on staff available for one-on-one coaching. We are thrilled to bring on Brian to kick off our first episode in the series covering trail running. Brian has been involved with endurance sports for over 40 years and has years of coaching experience from one mile to 240. He has seven Leadville 100 finishes, two Moab 240 finishes, and many, many other ultras under his belt. Brian coaches a wide variety of athletes from high school track stars to first-time 200-miler runners. Thanks for being on the show, Brian. Thanks for having me, Alyssa. I'm happy to be here. It's so fun because I think the first time that we met in person, we, well, I was told by Steve that, hey, there's this other guy that we're planning to bring on as a coach. And, huh, funny, he happens to be doing Moab 240 at the same time that you are. So we met at the end of Moab 240 on the last day as we were cheering in the other competitors. And I was like, oh, this guy, he knows what's up. He's a good dude. And I think I we shared some pizza together. You brought me some blankets because I was freezing cold. And it's awesome to be on the same team as you today. So how did you get your start in endurance events and coaching? And what brought you to Uphill Athlete? Oh, thanks, Alyssa. Hey, um, I've been running since elementary school. I started as a um, a track star, moved into cross country, and I've been in the endurance sports um, spot ever since. Um, all through um, the military and into my adult years, um, I dabbled in Ironman distance triathlons for a bit, and um, and kind of landed in ultra distance in two thousand and nine. Um, I've just kind of always lived in that space and really enjoyed it. Um, I came aboard um, just actually um, right while we were in conversation at the finish line of Moab 240 um, in October. Um, Steve and I were um, talking about a, um, a spot on the team for me. And so um, it worked out and and I'm happy to be here ever since. And it's been a great experience. That's awesome. Yeah, there was a a coaches, a bunch of coaches meetings that were happening right after Moab. And I just remember being on the call thinking, why am I doing this? <laughs> I can't keep my eyes open. <laughs> it's also, it's so cool because you started in 2009. A lot of us are much more in the mid, the mid tens, but so you really saw a lot of the evolution of the sport. It's grown so much, um, but you knew some of the OGs and I guess, or go ahead, Brian. Oh, yeah. I think I just read Born to Run quicker than anyone else did. I must have had one of the first copies. I, I feel like I had one of the first copies. I think that's uh, I think that's how I got my start, just quicker than you guys did. <laughs> yeah, for me, it was Ultra Marathon Man, where I was like, this guy's nuts, but let's do it. This sounds great. I think I was like 10 years old when I read that. Um, so 
I'd love to hear what is trail running to you? And then if you could give us some history, especially as we were just talking about the growth in the last 10 to 20 years is just insane. I'd love to hear your perspective on that. So I think, um, I mean, trail running is new. I mean, it doesn't feel new. Um, there's nothing new about running on a trail. Um, but I think this ultra endurance world, uh, ultra distance running is, is fairly new to the scene. Um, I just, um, had some athletes run the Boston marathon and that was at the hundred that's at um, 127th annual Boston marathon. So when we put it into perspective, um, I want to say that um, Western States was in 1974 with, with Gordy Ainsley, um, the Western States, 100 endurance run. Uh, Leadville was um, started in 1983, the Leadville 100 and the Vermont 100 was started in 1989. So, when we think of the Boston Marathon and its longevity, it's over 125 years old. Um, and our um, signature races, races that are, are are big time in our world, in the ultra running world, aren't that old, quite honestly. Um, 40, 40, almost 50 years, I guess, um, at this point for um, Western states. So um, not in comparison to uh, road running or the marathon. And, um, and I think it's just... Um, really, really expanded um, since 2009. Um, a quick sh- uh, short story is that I actually signed up for the 2010 Leadville Trail 100. Um, and I'm almost certain I mailed in a check. And um, there was no wait list. There was no nothing. I think I mailed in a check in February, like fairly late wow. in, in, in yeah. the season. Not, not late in the season, but I was I was training to see if it was possible. And then I mailed in my check. And uh you know, I got in, I mean, I mailed in again, I, like we don't even do that anymore. I mailed in a check and got mailed back a letter saying I was in, invited to the event because I paid. Um, so, you know, I mean, the space is growing. I think there's some statistic that it's like 300% year over year or something along those lines. Um, and now we have lotteries. The big races are uh, filling up super quickly. You got to be on ultra sign up super fast to get into some of these events. Um and it's great. It's great for the sport. It's great for our community. It's great to be um, part of it and to see it. Um, there's races um, that I have athletes, um, you know, asking if they, um, you know, should put them on the calendar or not that I haven't even heard of sometimes because um, the, the weekends are full. I mean, if you go to Ultra Sign Up, there's probably 10 races this weekend. There's 10 races next weekend um, and so on and so forth. So so the space is really just um exponentially growing uh, faster um, than we could ever have imagined um, from my point of view from 2009. Yeah. It's, it's insane to me with the growth of races per weekend. Like I started back in 2015 and you'd be lucky if there was one in your area every month, maybe. And now it's like, Oh my gosh, there's races every weekend. And I'm sure you felt this too, uh, to a much greater extent than I did. When I said, I was an ultra marathon runner. People had no idea what I was talking about. They were like, I'm sorry, what? Classic. I don't even want to drive my car that far. I'm like, I don't either, which is why I run. Uh, and so it people just had no idea what it was. And now it's mainstream and everyone has a brother, a sister, themselves, a friend who does ultra marathons. Like truly, I mean, Candace coined the term of 200 is the new 100, but 50K to a 50 miler is the new marathon. Almost a hundred milers, the new marathon, which is a little bit scary. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, there is um, 
there's definitely uh, something to be said for that. I, in the 2000s, I think the marathon was uh, the staple. And I feel like 05 to 10 or even 15, maybe um, there was a little shift to Ironman triathlon. That's true. Um, long, yeah. long course triathlon for a little bit. And then quickly it went to ultra running. And, um, and initially, again, the same thing that you just said, uh, nobody knew what an ultra was. And now there's the six degrees of separation. Somebody knows somebody that, you know, when, when I say I'm an ultra runner, they say, Oh, do you know, you know, my Such cousin, he, he, he did Western States. And I'm like, I, I don't know your cousin. I've, I've never <laughs> done Western States, but, but so we all know somebody in that space now that has done, you know, the hundred K or a hundred miler or, or greater. Definitely. It's kind of like, oh, your cousin lives in Chicago. Oh, you must know such and such. And you're like, it's small. It's a small community, but it is growing quickly. And then you look them up and they know five people that you know. And you're like, oh, okay. It's still not that big. Um, for sure. Yeah. I. It's It's crazy to me, too, because I, I truly think of 2020 in many ways as kind of the... I, I called it the year of ultra running because I think... When the pandemic happened, people felt that there wasn't as much of a barrier to entry. I think there was a lot of intimidation behind entering a race, cutoffs, et cetera, and the fear of not finishing. And when the pandemic happened, people, A, had more time to train because they were working from home, you know, doing something outside. And all of a sudden, it wasn't so much about a race as a personal adventure, which I think that's truly the core of ultra running is it really is a personal adventure. These are not distances where you just go out and say, ah, you know, I, I decided on a whim on Saturday, I'd go run five, 10 miles, which is a long distance. It's something that you really have to work up to. And so I think actually by not having races, it lowered the barrier of entry and people started doing the David Goggins challenge. They did all of these things and realized, oh, I just did a 50K or, oh, I'm an ultra marathon runner now. And that opened the space to allow people to get into races, to do all these personal adventures. And I think that it's a beautiful thing that happened um, out of that time period is people just realized they were capable of a lot more than they thought they were. Definitely. And I see that, um, like you touched on, I think the 2020 um, pandemic um, lockdown, um, needing to get some outside space, um, created that space where we, it doesn't have to be a race. It doesn't have to be an event. I don't have to pay, um, you know, 150 bucks up to a thousand bucks to go and, um, and, and go to a starting line with other runners. Um, I can create it in my backyard. I can create it in near my neighborhood. I can create it in the trails near my house. Um, and all those are, um, acceptable. Um, it, it really kind of, uh, lowered that barrier entry, entry barrier, like you mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, as I mentioned, it goes to the core of ultra running, which when we get in these races, yes, you know, maybe at the the highest 5% to 10% are racing each other. But truly, it is yourself against the distance with these other people to help you. I mean, one of the most beautiful things I think of when I think of ultra running is that there is a clause in almost every race that says you must help someone who is in need. You are Your race is never more important than helping someone um, through an injury, through whatever they need, and it is your responsibility to stop and help them. And I think that truly, to me, has always defined the ultra running spirit. And I've seen it in 
racing all the time where you offer someone food, you offer someone water. It's like, it's not about your individual accomplishment. It's about how do we collectively move through these, these places and move through these distances that people for a long time didn't think was even possible. The trail running community is not selfish at all. Um, they're completely giving and their crews, um, their support teams are all completely giving as well. Um, I've gotten aid and service, you know, in an appropriate spot at appropriate aid stations um, from, from <laughs> other yeah. crews though. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just to put that in there. Um, but from other crews that don't know me and are just, you know, I think we all have the general idea um, that we want to be better than we were yesterday. And, uh, and that means like, let's help everyone get to the finish line. Um, I may not be racing you, Alyssa, um, but we're racing our former selves and, and, uh, and our crews can help each other, um, accomplish that goal. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I see it so often. My husband, we, he wants to become a professional crewer, which we're working on that. And he, so many times I finish a race and he's best friends with everyone at the finish line. And then someone else crosses and gives him a big hug. And it's like, he's been helping them the entire race and, giving advice and giving them food. And you're just like, what a cool time this is. What a cool community. And and people are there because they want to be there, not because there's financial gain, because there really is not much at all, if any. And so it's so fun to see that, and especially, I mean, pacing itself is such a selfless act too. And that's, we're getting really far into the weeds and we'll get there. But um, yeah, it's just, it's an amazing group of people and the willingness to step outside of yourself is such an important part of it. Um, yeah, but okay, let's get back to, <laughs> back to it. I guess one thing that I'd love to hear from you, because I think that to reduce some of that intimidation factor, do all trail runs have to be ultras? We so often put them together, but what are some standard distances that we have? Are there different lengths of events at races? I'd love to hear. You're so knowledgeable. H how do we think about trail running? So I guess we should just back up one step and, um, and define what an ultra is. An ultra event um, in the running world, in the running community, is an event that's longer than 26.2 miles. And 26.2 is the benchmark for a marathon. Um, and so um, so that's by definition what an ultra distance is. Um, I always joke that if you are late to a marathon and you run to the start, you run an ultra, you're done. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> if you're running from the porta potty line to the starting line, exactly. you're, 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 you're over. Exactly. So those are the, that's the definition, but um, but trail running doesn't have to be ultras. Um, there are all sorts of distances. Um, the standard ones that um, that we see are the 10k or the 10 kilometers, a trail half marathon, which is 13.1, the full marathon, um, the 50 kilometer distance, a 50 miles, a hundred kilometers. And 100 miles are the standard ones. We are starting to see a little more of the 200s um, getting gaining momentum as well. And then there's, and those are the standards, I should say. But gosh, every there's so many variations. But there are so many variations. There there are so many races that fall between those standards. Um, they'll say, hey, we got an 8k this weekend, or we have a 22k, or they just you know they come close. And I think that um, that's another. 
um, quick point is that the distances are are vague at best. Um, I, I don't think there's a. I don't think that you could start your watch and expect to land at the finish line at 22k if they say it's 22k. That's it's, such it's, a great point. It's usually pretty vague. Um, it, it's you know it's a little short. It's a little long. Um, so uh, so uh, you know um, be be graceful with the race organization and and know that it it's not a standard distance. I, I think your road marathons, your Boston marathons, is like a certified course, and that's. 26.2 miles. I mean, that's certified. There's, you know, somebody out there with a wheel that's walking it and doing all the tangents and figuring it out. Um, but when we get into trail running, it's, it's a vague um, description of the length of the course. Oh, absolutely. Especially, I'm not trying to call out the European side of thing, but, but the European side of things. Tour de Jean, I always say, is like 250 miles at minimum. And everyone's like, no, it's 220, 30 miles. I'm like, no, when I hit 100 miles, I they, I, I was like 20, like 150 miles, I was 20 miles longer than they said. And I was like, nope, that is, this is almost a full marathon difference of what you've said. And I'm <laughs> barely halfway. So yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, we just call it bonus miles. It's just more fun. So I think that's actually a really great tip within that is never be so, um, caught up on the distance that you don't have a little bit more to give because chances are it's going to be incorrect and that's okay. And that that's um you know the difference in trail running it's it's a little more vague it's a little harder to get out there and walk the course and know what the distances are and then the GPS technology is a little bit different for everyone's um, watch whatever they're using to calculate that uh, distance is always a little bit off as well um, you and Definitely. I can run the exact same course to the mailbox and back from my house and it'll come out different on both of our watches so we just know that and and accept it as is. Absolutely. Just more for your money. The other thing I just want to point out, because to those who are newer to those distances, it's very interesting. We kind of vacillate between uh, distant points of using kilometers and miles. I think that shows how global um, ultra running is and kind of the roots of it. But when we say a 50K, that's approximately 32-ish miles. When we say 100K, that's approximately 62 miles. So um, it is really interesting how we go back and forth with in those two. And as an ultra runner, you get really good at converting kilometers to miles. It's probably one of the only things I'm good at math in and shock people with my skills as opposed to trying to calculate tips on my fingers. Um, but yeah, that's there's a lot of going back and forth between kilometers and miles. Um, so if you're if you're seeing actually a hundred miler, so like UTMB for example is about a hundred and five miles, and that's approximately a hundred and seventy kilometers ish, right around there. I'm looking at you, Brian, as I just bragged about it, but and, yeah, it's like and I'm a, shaking my head because I'm not exactly <laughs> sure what um, the UTMB course is claiming to be their kilometer distance. <laughs> yeah, a hundred miles is approximately a hundred and sixty ish kilometers is is kind of the the conversion so if you're seeing that that's what we're thinking about but yeah there's a lot of back and forth and truly distance is just a figment of our imagination so really it doesn't matter <laughs> that's right so we've talked about distances but within man there's so much uh what are the different kinds of races are that are available we think like the traditional 
mountainous, you know, UTMB or any of that, but what are some other types of racing that we can do? Gosh, yeah, there's this, the, uh, the standard or the, uh, typical, you know, uh, starting line, you know, the big race, everyone goes and we all finish when we get there. Um, there's, um, inside of that, there's point to point, which means you start, um, at one, one side and you run the distance of the event to another finish line somewhere else. Um, so there's, um, navigational challenges for getting to the starting line and, or getting back to the, um, getting to the finish line, your vehicle and, and, and dropping cars off and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, the race usually has a good explanation of how to do that, whether it's a shuttle bus or if they have, um, some sort of, um, way of transporting you back and forth. Um, there's looped courses. Um, so I'll use a 5k as an example, a 5k loop course, um, and it's just one example. There's many different variations of. You loop. can have a 240 mile looped course too. Oh, that's true. That's true. Actually, you're totally right. So yes, you can do a looped course where you. Um, so actually, it's Candace's um, a little bit of claim to fame um, in, in Moab is that it's a looped course, and so none of it is repetitive. Um, and exactly what that means is you're going to um, go out on yourself and come back on a different route and never get on the same course again. Um, or a piece of course that you've been on already. Um, there's no out and backs. There's no turnarounds. You're just running in a complete loop, and you come back into the finish line from the the starting line that you went out um, prior to wh- however many days ago that was. Um, so there's a loop course in that way, but I was also thinking of a loop course of a, like a 5K um, loop, and you run continuous loops of that. Um, that's that's actually fairly common these days and it's actually great training runs i think um some sort of loop course you have um eight state eight every 5k you uh, you know you have your vehicle potentially at the start finish line of that 5k so you can have your night gear and your day gear and your sunscreen and your refills and all those things that you would need out on a course but uh, but you're never too far away from the vehicle um on a on a um looped course Oh gosh, there is um, relay events of eight to four um, participants, or even a greater or less than of those numbers. Um, they they tend to be point to point, and you're um, like leapfrogging a vehicle and running at the same time. So one participant would run, you would run leg one, Alyssa and I would run leg two, and then we'd have a participant run leg three, a teammate. And they seem to be fun and um, a lot of camaraderie, a lot of team building in that um, type of event. There's um, hourly timed events. So there's six hours, 12 hours, 18 hours, 24 hours, 48 hours. Gosh, I bet you there's 72 hours. If there I, are. If, there's if 72. I, there's six day. So if I if I dug deep enough, I bet you on um, Ultra Sign Up, you could find any type of hourly event you're looking for or near what you're looking for. And they typically run on a looped course. Um, and so you run, back to my example, you run your 5K for six hours and you try to log as many miles and or laps as you can in that time frame. Uh, the one I didn't touch on just yet, which was a little bit tougher to explain, is the last man standing. And this is... Um, this 
format or the or origins of this format is that it was a four point. You're going to have to correct me here. A four point one two one six 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 seven. It's ex- if okay. we did exactly twenty four hours, it would be a hundred miles. Is yeah. the so yeah four point one six 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 seven. Um, a a four point one six 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 seven mile loop in one hour, and you continue that um, every hour for twenty four hours. And uh, like Alyssa explained, it it uh, um, the math comes out to be one hundred miles in twenty four hours. Um, so you have a full hour to cover the four point roughly two miles um, to get there, but. Um, but you can't start before the next hour and you have to finish within the previous hour or the current hour, I guess I should say. Um, and if you don't, then you're, um, you're cut off and you can't start the next lap. And um, so each hour is almost a race, a mini race in itself. And there's no winner of each lap, but in order to move on, you have to complete in the time period of the one hour and be back to the starting line, ready to start your next lap at the top of the hour. Um, that, um, was the standard or the origins of it. Um, but there are variations of that now, um, you know, a little bit shorter, 30 minutes, um, whatever it might be. Um, there's different plays on that as well. Um, and so that last man standing um, only leaves one finisher um, who is inevitably the winner and everyone else um, is a DNF. It did not finish um, in that regard. So, um, so you may run for 26 hours, um, but the inevitable winner may run for 32 hours and finish 32 laps of, um, whatever the distance is that the race dictates. So those are some of just some, and I think I, I probably missed a few. I took some notes. Those are the notes I took and I'm not sure if Alyssa had any more that I might've missed, but, um, yeah, the only ones, well, yeah, there's so many variations. Other ones I can think of are out and backs. Um, so you're doing just a big old run out 50 miles and run back 50 miles, which is what Leadville is. Um, it can be really fun in many ways because you get to see people along the way. I've always really enjoyed that. Um, you can have like Hurt is an out and back loop, which is kind of wild. So you do these kind of like spider legs so you'll go out you'll it's a loop but it's like an out in the back and an out in the back on the loop um and then crisscrossing and yeah so it can be kind of all over the place um yeah i mean they're the only thing i can also think of and there's tons there's stage racing um so that's where you run a certain distance during a day and then you camp out spend the night somewhere um that's and for some of the stage racing, you carry everything you need on your back, and then for other stage racing, um, they the company, whatever the race is, brings your stuff with you, so you just have what you need for running. Um, yeah, definitely. You. That, um, I guess if you're thinking of stage racing, stage racing is similar to like the Tour de France, you, yes. you, have, a, you have a race a day, um, and then the rest of the afternoon and/or evening, you're off. Um, recovering. Um, in trail running, we usually see that you're camping at the start finish line for the next day. Um, race management can either um, cart some belongings to the next um, finish line for you or um, 
depending on the event, um, you'd have to carry your own gear. Um, but the next day would be a, a different race. Um, you get a cumulative time and they usually award each day's stage winner as well as an overall winner of the whole event of say it's six stages. So um, the six stage overall winner and then um, each stage has its own uh, specific winner of each event. So, Yeah, and one of the most, I would say probably the one that going back it's, I don't, I mean, people know of it, but I don't think it's actually quite as famous as it used to be. But the Marathon de Salle is probably one of the most famous um, stage races out there. And that's where you're, you're not carrying your tent, but you're carrying all of your food, gear and all of that, which that is a wild set of logistics when you are trying to figure out food management. Because as we all know, with running, it gets you really hungry. And so if you mismanage your calories, that can be really, um, really tough. So stage racing is that with each of these, there's huge levels of logistics that go into it. And it all just kind of depends on what appeals to you. The only one I was going to add is there are within those hourly events often done on a track. And so you can have people doing track timed events. So uh, you know they're running around and they have aid anytime they want, uh, but that can also be detrimental because you can waste a lot of time picking up aid as well. Um, so yeah, there's pretty much like for everyone. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point, Alyssa. You know, I think the reason that um, the track um, timed events like the track 24 hours or 36 hours, 48 hours, whatever it might be, um, fall into the trail running realm is because it's still considered a soft surface. Um, the track is, um, it has that rubber track and, um, it's not so hard in your feet as like asphalt or something like that. Um, but a quarter mile at a time is a lot of laps to cover in 24 hours. <laughs> yes. Yes. I just tried to do a timed event on a two mile route and got to 50 K and was like, well, I'm good for the day. <laughs> I'm so, I, I want to be out in the mountains running in a single direction for more than two miles. So have I hats off to those who do the, the timed events and the, the looping. Yeah. I think definitely though, there's, there's a space for everyone. I mean, I, um, yes. you and I both enjoy the mountains um, and, and ups and downs and trail um, and neither is here nor there, but, um, but I think there's, there's a space for everyone in ultra running um, to, to figure out what they enjoy um, and where they might uh, find an event. Exactly. And I think that, I mean, that's why we're talking about this, but it truly is what inspires you to get out there. What, motivates you to challenge yourself in a way you've never challenged yourself before. And for us, we find mountains to be that thing that lights our souls on fire. For other people, it's how fast can I cover this distance? And for others, you know, having the safety of an aid station right there of coming back to your family of having that community, that's really appealing, especially uh, maybe if you're newer to it or, um, you know, have kids or something like that. So it really comes down to what inspires you to get out there and motivates you to, um, to challenge yourself. So we're going to tap into one other aspect of, um, well, geez, there's so many other aspects, but another type of running slash moving through space that isn't technically a race and you get to do it anytime you want. 
So, Brian, what is an FKT? An FKT is a fastest known time. It's the acronym for uh, fastest known time. And a fastest known time is, um, is it's not an event. Um, it is in a, um, it's a process where an athlete takes on a, a known route that has been established um, by GPS, uh, a starting point, a finish point, and then a, a route within that, um, within those confines of the starting line and finish line. Um, and you're trying, yeah, and you're trying to do it as quickly as possible. Um, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, think of it for, for like the John Muir Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail, the Appalachian Trail. Those are really long versions of it. Um, the Grand Canyon, rim to rim to rim. So trails that actually a lot of people would know, but you're trying to do it the fastest that ever, the fastest known time. So that's kind of been the differentiating factor is that there might have been times that were faster, but they weren't recorded. They weren't, you know, known about. So now it's like, it's essentially a world record for that specific trail space distance. Route the route for sure. I think that we saw, um, fastest known times have been around, um, for, for a decent amount of time. I, I think they got their origins as well back in 2010, uh, 2012-ish area. Um, there's a website um, dedicated to it. I think uh, Buzz, Buzz Burrell is still um, managing uh, part of that or at least has his name on it as, as um, one of the founders of it. Um, there's definitely uh, more and more routes getting established um, in those confines. Um, and... I think for the everyday person looking to get in the trail running, uh, even for myself, um, FKTs aren't um, a space that I'm going to go do, but um, like, I'm not going to go try to get the fastest known time on a particular route, but it's great to go in there and check out some of the routes and see what other people are doing and capable of. And then I actually like to go out and go run a route knowing it's not going to be the fastest. Um, but just kind of, and then going back and looking to see what the fastest was and being completely awe-inspired that, you know, the fastest known time is literally twice as fast as I ran it, um, on my good day, you know? So, um, I, I think there's, um, something to that. It's, it, it allows a fastest known time allows for, um, the athlete to wait, um, for like a weather window. That's perfect. Um, you, you don't have to race next Sunday and not know what the weather is going to be. Um, you don't have to, um, your race might've been canceled or something else. You might have a ton of fitness and you could just go test yourself on an FKT, um, and, and give it a test. If you don't do well at it, or if you don't claim the FKT, you can go back tomorrow and try it again, or you could go back next week and try it again. So, um, there's, um, I think there's a, couple like supported and unsupported as well, which is like splitting hairs there. Um, but maybe you could touch on that. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm happy to to talk about that too. Uh, Brian, do you have any FKTs or have ever? No. Oh, okay. All right. Got to change that at some point no. soon. <laughs> you don't sound super stoked. Personally, I love FKTs. They really actually exploded. I think again in 2020 when there weren't racing opportunities, we saw some of the, the the hardest most competitive routes just be i mean 
fought after like a race, which was really fun. Um, so there's three different ways that you can do an FKT. I love FKTs. I have a couple of them. Um, one on a particularly long trail and one on a particularly, uh, technical trail. Um, and so an FKT, you can do the, the most race-like is supported. So a supported FKT means that you can use any kind of aid anywhere you want. People can literally, like, I've had people hand me Oreos outside of a car. Um, so you don't have to carry anything. You can have your... Um, your pacers carry your pack for you as long as they don't push you forward or that, you know, they don't do anything where like they're actively moving you in a direction. It's super fun because you really can put down very fast times with a full support, which in races often there, there's much more limiting factors about what you can do. Um, so that's fully supported. Then there's self-supported, which means that you do not have someone who is with you, but you can say, leave a package for yourself. You can go into a grocery store. Um, you can do anything that anyone else could do um, without someone else doing it for you. Um, so for example, I've done an FKT on the Pinhoti Trail, which is a 350 mile trail. The first time I attempted it, I did it self-supported. And I mailed packages just like a through hiker. A through hiker would be considered a self-supported adventure. Um, so I mailed packages. I was planning to stop in stores. All of that fair game. Anything anyone else could do or have access to, you're good. The third version, which I think is super hardcore, is unsupported, which means that the only thing that you can take is you can get water out of a stream or I think a public fountain like a spigot, which that's even if you're, I don't, that's been like a part that I don't fully understand, but essentially you have to carry every single thing on your back that you're going to use for the, um, for the event. And the only thing you could do is if you cross the water stream, you could fill up your water. Hopefully you are, using a filtration system. That's a whole other story, but yeah. So unsupported is really hardcore. You can't have any outside help. You're not even supposed to have people like you shouldn't have anyone coming out and meeting you, even if it's moral support, because that's considered actual support. Mm. Um, yeah. So I, FKTs are super fun. They're a great way to challenge yourself. There are some athletes that don't race at all they just do fkts and that is um enough for them and then the fun thing about fkts is that they can start combining other sports other adventures so for example there's fkts on mount rainier there's fkts on hood there's fkts in places that races can't go and part of it is it requires a lot of skill to be able to do these fkts so you do have to be conscientious of the fact that there is not necessarily a safety backup for you if things go wrong, but it can also, especially as we have a lot of um, multi-sport mountain athletes in this area, can be really fun. Like, for example, I've done a, an FKT on Mount Whitney where I ran from Lone Pine. So it was a road run, 12 miles, picked up my mountaineering stuff and then soloed up the mountaineers route to the top of Whitney where I had to have 
um, in ice axe. I had pretty beefy micro spikes on, uh, definitely consequential, and then ran back down, put my road running shoes on, and ran all the way back into town. So it's just really fun. You can mix and match what you love doing in the mountains. Yeah, that's a great um, explanation. I think that uh, clears up even some uh, questions I had. I I guess I didn't know there was a third category. Um, I only thought there was two. Um, But I think that there is, um, there was a huge boom in in, um, FKTs during COVID. Um, Everything was getting crushed uh, left and right. It was great to see. It was fun. People were getting outside and doing things. And I think there is... um, a lot of merit to um, go into places where we can't hold events um, with large amounts of people um, and not because of any type of uh, pandemic, but um, just because of the impact that we have in that, um, that space, like um, the grand Canyon, we're not going to get, you know, a thousand people to run rim to rim to rim um, in an event with a starting line and a finish line and eight stations, like you would see at a normal event. Um, but to do it self-supported or even with some support, um, is, is capable and still gives you some credit and some uh, the ability to go out there and do those things in spaces where we can't have those events. Absolutely. And one of the things that I see FKTs opening up a space in, and, and I'm hopeful, kind of the, not to be negative, but the downside of this explosion of trail running is we do see a number of people and we've seen it in really sad circumstances of people who take on these mountain events. And when you're in a race, you feel like there's the safety blanket around you. And so often people are not, um, not procuring the mountain skills they need to do mountain trail races. And so if you're doing the Wasatch 100, even the Hurt 100, you know, if you're doing hard rock, et cetera, all of these, these are high mountain sports with consequences. If a storm comes in, if a uh, lightning happens, if snow, snow, huge variations in temperature, wildlife, et cetera. And so something I really hope to continue to emphasize in this space, in this works in the FKT world, it works in the trail running world, is that we should be good mountain safe athletes when we are doing these races. We should not be relying on the racing teams to save us, to um, be our rescue at any time. Yes, they're there as a, a framework and a support, but we should also have the survival skills to be able to manage ourselves in the mountains. We see that we have a lot of races now having required gear, oftentimes an emergency blanket, an extra jacket, extra calories. Um, and I think it's also on us as, as runners, as mountain athletes, that we we need to be procuring those skills as well. And I'm curious, too, with your clients, how you manage that. That's a great question. You know, I think that um, I think the required list is starting to get um, more common. Um, at these starting lines, um, and, and rightfully so for those reasons um, that um, we need to be self-reliant out there in the um, on the trail. And of course, someone might help you out, and but we can never expect that. I don't think that should be the expectation is that someone's going to bail you out when I'm when I tap out and I say I'm done. Um, I still have to get myself to a safe spot and, and get myself out. I'm uh, no one's going to fly in and, and pick me up and get me out. Um, I think. The other um, caveat is that we, 
we as a community need to um, know how to use those safety items as well. Um, so, so not just packing them in the pack and yeah. never, never deploying your, um, your emergency bivy, never um, figuring out if you can um, light your candle or not, um, whatever, whatever your safety items are um, on the required list. I think we need to know how to use them and, um, and when to use them um, um, before triggering an emergency alert system um, of, you know, search and rescue to come out in the middle of nowhere to come and get you. Um, I, I think we have to take a lot of that responsibility on ourselves. Um, and to go back to my athletes, I think they're, um, I think I just explained that as well. I'm, I'm trying to get them to know what they have in their pack and how to use it properly. I think that's the, um, the general census of, of, of my theory on that. Definitely. Yeah. Same. I always say, you know, practice with your gear, use what you're going to use for the race, make sure you know how to use it. Absolutely. And I think, um, one of the most common misconceptions, you probably see it all the time in Colorado is that people think you hit a, a rescue button, you hit an SOS button and someone just shows up. That is not how it works. It is, it can be hours and hours. It can be an entire night where you are, cause you are in a remote space, there's a storm happening. And these are people who are not, some of them are sitting waiting for the call, but most of them are not. And it takes a long time to get a search and rescue crew out to you. So you have to be able to take care of yourself for the amount of time. I, I think I, I love the advancements we've made and say helping people in the backcountry, but I also think that it can sometimes be a crutch for people to think, well, I just press a button and, and in 30 minutes I'll be picked up by a helicopter. And that is just not how it works. And um, I would recommend that people actually look into how these services are deployed and the steps of, okay, what happens when that first call goes off? How does it then trigger everything to understand how long and how much of a process it is? Cause it is pretty eye opening. The, the other, um, along that same lines, I would say, um, we have to think of it as a process. Like if you were to go to the emergency room, um, uh, most of us have insurance and, um, and we get a huge deduction in our bill because we pay insurance and that's what insurance is for. Um, and there's not a similar, I mean, you can get, you know, uh, mountain insurance. Um, but when I think of, um, an athlete pushing the SOS button, I always, um, I always wanted them to envision what that, is doing to somebody else's life. They're they're taking time out of their kid's softball game or baseball game to to jump in the um, you know the ambulance to get to the trailhead to put on the pack and the boots to get a mapping system. You know you're deploying ten people um, in, in changing their lives in order to come and rescue you. And there's definitely cases where you need to push the SOS button and Absolutely. you need to be rescued. Um, but before you do that, just make sure that it's an actual emergency and that you can't self-rescue yourself. Um, I think yeah. that, um, that, that kind of just says it all. I mean, there's a huge consequences to all of it. Absolutely. And, and yeah, well, we've got that rival, but I think it's important. Um, I've been on the search and rescue team. My husband's been on the search and rescue team. He's done a lot more rescues than I have, but it is, it is, I mean, yeah, you are pulling people from their lives there. You are, 
it's a big use of resources and that mistakes and accidents happen. And that's absolutely why it's there. But also having the skill set to rely on getting yourself out, self-extraction and all of that, you're bettering the community around you if you have the skill set. And again, if you break your leg, if something like that happens, that is not your fault. Like rocks, rock slides happen, avalanches happen, you know, of course, not putting yourself in the position, but there, there are just accidents happen. So we're not saying don't ever use that or that it's your fault. If you need a call, we're just saying that the more that you can prepare yourself to have the right gear, have the right um, nutrition, have the right skill set, the, the more your outdoor community will thank you. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So, wow, well, we went down that tangent, but let's go back to kind of the essence of trail running. And we talked about this a little bit, but to you, Brian, what brings you into the trail running community? What makes you want to go to the Moab 240 to help other people to really be centering your career around this? You know, I think we touched on it um, briefly already, but um, for me, the trail running community is um, is completely wel- welcoming and supportive. We, I think we we don't see barriers. I, I, I really feel that way, that the, the trail running community doesn't see any barriers to entry. Um, you know, if you don't have the right gear on or if you don't look the part, um, no one's judging you. I don't feel like, I feel like, you know, you belong there. You, you've signed up. Um, hopefully you've done all the work to get there. Um, and we will help you as best as we can. Um, and that's, that's me saying that from to a starting line of a hundred people. And I might only be crewing you, Alyssa. Um, so, you know, if I get to mile 10 and you're not there yet, but there's another runner that needs help by all means, I'm going to, um, help them out, give them some water, get them some food, try to fix their feet if they need some, you know, feet work done or whatever it might be uh, to get them moving because we um, we are fully supportive of each other. Um, and it's it's different than other communities I've been in as far as like uh, bicycle racing or triathlon. Um, it, it's it's really uh, welcoming and um, in that regard, I, I don't think there's, um, I just think we just, give and give and give as much as we can to the community. And, um, and I've never looked back because of that. Um, I think that's what I saw when I came in and that's why I'm still here. Totally. I mean, I saw it. I, I mentioned the whole thing of helping others, but at the second race I ever did when I first moved to Hawaii, I was running along and the two guys I was running with, first of all, you get to know people so well when you spend, that's one of my favorite parts of racing is hooking up with someone um, and just running hours with them. And you just get to know them. Like they're your best friend. Cause how many times in our society do we have an uninterrupted space of time just to get to talk and know someone. And they started pulling out like gummy bears and all this stuff. And they were like, Hey, do you want some gummy bears? Do you need some food? Do you need anything? Just like so willing to offer me anything that they had. Like, you know, if I'd said, Hey, I'm really, you know, need some extra shade. They would have been like, here, take my shirt and, you know, make a hat out of it or something. You know, it's just that to me was so, it was so clear what this community is, is that we're all there to help each other. And within that race, and I didn't see it because I was just not in on the course where they were, but two people completely halted their races to help someone who'd broken their leg. 
in a fall. And it was just like, of course, that's what you do. And and they were all part of the the rescue process of helping this person who just had a really unfortunate fall. And I was like, oh, wow, I think I just learned some of the most fundamental aspects of this community just in that that second race that I'd ever done. And that to me just made it very clear how special the community is. Yeah, I've, I've found um, friendships um, along the trail, either in training and or racing um, in places I never thought I would, you know, and um, you, you just say, hey, how's your day going, you know, to the participant next to you. And six hours later, you're you're waiting for them at the aid station, like, oh, when are you leaving? Because I'm going to leave with you. We're going to keep talking or we're going to continue this friendship. And, um, and so sometimes you kind of halt your you know, your, your main plan by like, Hey, I made a friend and I'm going to continue with this friend because we're having a great time and we're having fun. We're passing time. I think that you also touched on is, um, when it's just you in the trail and you're moving, there's, there's some aspect of, uh, moving that helps you become really social. Um, yeah. but, but I, also think that like we take away all the current barriers we have, like this laptop that we are both sitting on talking to each other through and the social media and the phone, everything is in my pockets. And I'm just one-on-one having a conversation with another human being and learning about them. And they're listening to me hopefully. And, and, you know, it works out. Um, I, I've made more friends than not in trail running. Um, I, I can't, tell you that I um, don't have any friends or um, didn't have a great time on the trail meeting somebody new. Um, we not, may not even see eye to eye on a lot of things in the world, but we're out there in the trail together, sharing a moment. And, um, and, and that's special. Um, it, it's, it's way more special than you can believe. And if you're, if you're listening to this and you're thinking of dabbling into the ultra running world, or you're, you're thinking that, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit on the fence still. You know, I think a great idea would be is to uh, find a local race, an ultra, and volunteer. Um, the race, the races are always looking for volunteers. Um, hand out water, give gummy bears. You know, you you'll be you'll you will see what we are talking about right here in this podcast. Um, what we're describing as this community, um, you'll see it firsthand. It'll inspire you. And, and you'll, you'll, you'll find your spot. You'll, you'll figure out if this is the space you want to be in or not pretty quickly. And I guarantee you, um, you'll enjoy it. If I'm not running a race, I'm usually volunteering. Um, I've volunteered, um, I volunteered at Moab for like four days to run an aid station, which is a really long aid station. Right. Um, And I've paced people for, you know, miles, 60, 70 miles sometimes, um, as a pacer, um, running with another runner that's in the event and I'm just their support crew as a pacer. Um, so I think any aspect of that is, um, a, a really great way to, figure out if this is the space you want to be in or not. And, um, and I bet you, you'll be um, surprised. I love that. And I love the point to bring up the volunteer because you get to see the inner workings. You get to understand how it is. And I guarantee you will leave inspired and it's inspiring from the person who might be going after the course record to the person who is chasing cutoffs. Like, equally as such because you you see the sacrifice you see the love you see the determination the hours that athlete has spent to get to that point and it is incredible i um i tease i've been to leadville a couple times you mentioned it on the intro and um 
every year I bring a crew there. Um, the following time I go back, I wind up losing half that crew because they're so inspired. They wind up signing up for other events themselves or, or Leadville themselves. Um, and, and so I always, you know, cycle in new crew. Um, it's really not that big of a deal, but I always pretend to complain about it. But, um, I always say, well, if you're going to pace me this year, you know, be ready to ride it next year. Cause you're going to be pretty inspired. So. Um. And I think that really plays to the point that, I've done it myself where I'll say, oh, I'd never do that distance or I would never do that race because it's too hard. It's too long. It's too whatever. And then a couple of years later, you're standing on that start line like, what the heck? I didn't think that was going to happen. And I, I now never, when someone asks me, would you ever do that race? I know better than to say no. I always say it's maybe not next year, but you never know. And I think, yeah, I think that's just such a beautiful part of it is that a lot of, I think people come in with the limitations that they feel society has given them or that they feel they've written about themselves and ultra running, I think just gives us, I I almost think of it. I've, I've written about this where you get to pretend to be a superhero for a day for a couple of days and you put on your pack and it's your cape and it gives you everything you need to survive. And, and it's just a glimpse of if we didn't believe that there were limitations on ourselves, what could we be? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's and really then, great. Thanks. And then you finish the race and you get to live in that moment for a little bit. And then you keep, going on ultra sign up and keep finding. (laughs) (laughs) And then you fall into the natural progression, right? I mean, yeah, you start to say, well, I've done the 50 K. So maybe, maybe I could do a 50 mile. Maybe it doesn't seem that far. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's how I got my start at um, Moab. As a matter of fact, I thought Moab was brand new in 2017. And I thought, gosh, 240 miles just seems forever. Um, and so I said, well, I'll just volunteer. So I, I paced, uh, I paced a guy for uh, 70 miles at, at the original one. And I was hooked. I was like, oh, I'll be back here. And so, um, it cracks me up with like, <laughs> with Moab in particular is that the pacing sections are ultras in themselves. I mean, insane ultras, not just like, I read a 50 K. It's like, no, I read 70 miles. You're like, that's 30, yeah. that's 30 miles less than a hundred miles. Like that is nuts. Yeah, I needed yeah. a hundred a hundred k belt buckle of some sort. I yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and it's like I had a pacer pace me fifty five miles. It was like fifty five miles, tw- mm-hmm. fifteen, then like twenty seven, thirty seven, and like forty. And you're that's probably not the right math. I'm telling you, math hands. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's wild. I'm like, you all almost ran, you all except one person ran over a marathon with me, which to have that basis of people who A, can do that, it's insane, and B, are willing to do that, nuts. And all of my pacers after that, except my husband, were like, when can I do Moab myself? (laughs) He's still not convinced. (laughs) You know, I think there's... um... I think there's a little bit um, to say about um, the crowd at, a, at any ultra race um, or the participant list. Um, 
I think if you were outside looking in, you may think that it's just these uber elite athletes that are all skinny and wiry and they're all gunning for the fastest time or they're gunning for each other. But um, really, when you get to the starting line, um, there there are um, Alyssa is one of them, actually, um, one of those uh, uh, top tier athletes at the at the starting lines. Um, but they really make they make up five percent of the starting line, usually at most races. Um, and um, the mid pack that I'm going to get it done. It's going to take me a while. Um, make up the majority of most ultra events. Um, so I, I want to, I just want to clarify that so that people, um, so participants listening, thinking about it, maybe thinking about trying to get into an ultra or just trying to conquer the distance, but have that, um, notion in their head that it's all Uber, um, fit athletes that are um, gunning for the win and they're duking it out at the fastest time ever. No, that's usually not the case at most of these races. Um, I mean, Western States has a huge um, pro field and some of these races do have um, a, a fair amount of um, pro athletes at them. So but don't when we say wrong. a fair amount, we're talking like 20 people. Yeah. And you're like, talking 200 to 300 participants. So if not thousands, depending. Yeah. yeah, totally. Five to 10% at a, at a maximum it is this ultra um, elite field. Um, the rest of the participants are everyday Joes. They go to work, they strap on their shoes. Um, you know, they got kids, they're running the soccer practice. I'm, I'm right in that mix. I'm running the dance practice. I'm running the guitar lessons. I'm running to piano lessons. Um, and, and, and we live life um, in, in running isn't um, all encompassing. And so I, I want to just clarify that, um, that it's, it's, um, it's not what you um, envision it to be as being all elite athletes. Absolutely not. But there is, uh, like, I find that more inspiring than when, you know, it's like, I've been incredibly fortunate to be able to mold much of my life around being a competitive ultra runner. But when I see my clients, when I see you, like, when I see all these other athletes and I, you're also a very, very good runner. So I'm, I, I don't love the elite kind of it's it. Cause, cause the funny thing in ultras is that if you play your cards right and you are dealt a great day, it's like, you never know who's going to be there at the top. Um, so that's why I'm not a big fan of the whole like elite language and all of that. Um, but it is so inspired to be like this person got up at 4 a.m. every single day to go run two hours. They ran at 10 p.m. at night. They got on the treadmill. They did their weight training, you know, all of that to stand at the start line and, and do their best and put their best foot forward. And so that to me is more inspiring than anything else. And I think that's the beautiful thing about ultras is that it really is something that tips people from being like, you can't be halfway in. And, and that I think so much of our lives have such a short attention span that we just don't have to focus and you cannot short attention span an ultra. That's not how it works. And I think you can't, that's fa you really, can't fake it. You yeah. Can't fake you it. can't fake it. It's, and yeah. you know, no one's going to give you no one in the moment of your darkest moment when it is the hardest is going to give you the fast way to do it, the easy button that does not exist. It is in your head. It's in your mind. It's in the training you've done. That's what's going to get you through. Totally. Yeah. Ah, oh, Brian, we could talk about this all day. 
<laughs> it's been so fun. Um, wow. Yeah. Well, I guess you're for those of you who are interested in signing up for the trail running group, this is just a small taste of what you will get in in the uh, lectures, I have a feeling I will promise to keep them to an hour. I have a feeling if you ever wanted to stay longer, the three of us could really just, when Alexa comes on, uh, talk nonstop. Because as you can tell, Brian and I are really passionate about the sport. We love the people. We love the community. And we just want to help. We want to help people feel the way that we felt. That's totally right. I um I feel fortunate to be in this space and to be able to share. Um, and if you get me talking about running, it's hard to get me to stop. <laughs> Same. I know when people start asking me questions about running, I'm like, are you ready? You really want to? Let's wanna, go. When I, when I was a teacher, uh, I could always tell when my students really want to learn anything because they started asking me, me about running because they knew that I would not shut up about it. So they, they learned that tactic really well. Awesome. Well, Brian, anything you, well, actually I'd love to ask, what are you up to this year for your racing schedule? Oh, Alyssa, a fun one. That's loaded. You know, the answer. Um, but I will share that I do have four 100 milers on the calendar. Um, I will start in June with the Bighorn, um, Bighorn 100 in Wyoming. Um, in July, I'll be in Ure for the Ure 100. Um, in August, I'll be in Leadville for the Leadville 100. And in September, I'll be in Steamboat Springs, Colorado for the Run Rabbit Run 100 miler. Um, they're all about f five weeks apart from each other, um, roughly. One might be six weeks apart. Um, so it's going to be a huge challenge. I'm, um, my training currently on the, at the end of April right now is really coming along well. Um, so I'm happy with where I'm at uh, currently. And um, just uh, looking forward to a great summer being in the mountains. There are all Rocky Mountain events um, in the Rocky Mountains where I live in Colorado. Um, Bighorn Mountains are in the range of the Rocky Mountains here. Um, so I'm excited to um, just challenge myself and, and try to do this uh, grand slam of Rocky Mountain events that I've created for myself. So That's awesome. And, and, I, and you, Alyssa? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just want to caveat one thing that Brian has been racing and running for a long time. He knows himself. He knows his body. He knows his training. And so, yes, this is a challenge for him, but this is not out of the realm of possibility. And so I just want to make sure that we, those who are coming in the sport, you do not need to go run, nor should you go run 500 or 400 milers within that time span. Trail running is something that takes a lot of progression. It takes a lot of skill. It takes a lot of years. Brian's a super trained, like really well experienced runner. Um, so this is well within his capability. But just to make sure we emphasize, you everyone has their own journey, and you never get to take back those distances. Um, so the, your first fifty k, embrace it, love it. You don't have to go run a hundred miles right away. Um, yeah. I love I think what you're doing. The, Go ahead, Brian. I think, how, I think how I explained it to an athlete just the other day who was um, trying to load up their calendar um, with a little too much, um, and I wanted to have that conversation with them. I explained it that, um, yes, we should put um, events on our calendars or we should um, have those dangly carrots out there that scare us, but are, are achievable and are within inside of our wheelhouse. And um, and just like you explained, I um, four 100s does seem 
um, absurd, but um, but if you went back and looked at my history, um, I, I, it's well within my wheelhouse. It does scare me. Um, it's a good it's good to have that um, good fear of um, the summer events that I plan for myself, but um, and challenge myself. Um, but it's not. Um, it's completely doable as well um, for, for the space I'm in right now. Absolutely. And you'll crush it. I'm excited to see it. Uh, for me, uh, <laughs> it's been, uh, so I did the hurt 100 in January, which I keep having to tell myself was actually the start of my season, not uh, part of 2022. And I will be doing actually after this podcast or this podcast will come out. Um, after I race, I will be doing some distance at canyons. Unsure when. Please don't follow this <laughs> pattern. This is not usual. You should know what your distance you're doing far in advance. But you know, sometimes you just got to go with the flow. I am at. I'll say I'm at the fitness level to do something between the 100k to 100 mile distance. We'll see what the trail running ultra gods have in store for me. Um, then I will, I'm doing a fun, I'm turning 30 this year. We'll do a fun birthday adventure, 30 miles, 30 V points of rock climbing. And uh, I'm thinking Murph, maybe like that. I thought of that the other day because it's right around Memorial Day. And I was like, that could be a really, I've always wanted to do it. And I was like, that could be a really awful way to end a very long day. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of my 30th birthday adventure i'll be doing a race um valdaran or valdarain i say it wrong every time a utmb race over in the pyrenees um and then i'll be doing the dragon's back stage race in wales which is an unmarked six-day gnarly race uh, i'm super excited for it and a fun wrap-up adventure of epic five in hawaii which is not a race just a great excuse to go back to hawaii where i lived for a few years so yeah it'll be fun it's always exciting to follow you Alyssa. um you you definitely um put challenging events on your calendar and are thoughtful in your process to um to load that calendar properly um with the training that you have and and not overdo it um always exciting and i'm sure you'll crush it as well thanks brian yeah it, and i will say it was a process because back in 2019 and before that i just wanted to race 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 and especially if race didn't go well i thought i had to put another race on to make up for it to make myself feel better in a way and the way to self-soothe is not to sign up for more races it is to give yourself the space to recover assess and choose with a clear mind and open heart that's what i'll say yeah, awesome. don't, don't make my mistakes. <laughs> That's what we're here for it. Brian and I are to to slowly try to you'll ha you'll make your own mistakes, but we're just gonna try to keep holding you up as best we can. If we could, if we could teach you and you can learn from our mistakes, um, you'll be in a better spot and have learned it quicker than we may have. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Well, Brian, thank you so much. This was such a fun conversation. I believe we have you on the schedule to come back for another one of the trail running series podcasts. So that will be super fun. You'll be a part of the trail running group we have starting in June. And I um, am sure you'd be happy or you're open to working with one-to-one -one athletes. So if there's anyone out there looking for 
an amazing coach who has a lot of experience in a wide range of distances, Brian's your guy. Um, yeah. So thanks, thank thanks so much for having me. And, um, I, I appreciate, um, always talking about, uh, trail riding. I always enjoy our conversations, Alyssa. Um, we can talk for hours, um, and, and, and have a great time doing it. Um, so that's fun as well. So, um, I'm looking forward to the group, the training groups, uh, really excited to jump in there and kind of, uh, share in a different, um, group setting. Um, but it, yep. Totally open to one-on-one -on -one coaching and uphillathlete.com um, has all the information on where to uh, reach us at. Definitely. All right. Thank you for listening to the Uphill Athlete Podcast. If you could rate, review, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, that really helps us to become more visible, to reach more mountain athletes. And as always, it's not just one, but a community. We are Uphill Athlete.